A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six years. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to one field and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you surely man. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast ahead of the opening weekend of the 2016-2017 Premier League season or as Arsene Wenger has dubbed it, Ken, the World Championship of Managers. Yes, that's what it's all about. Football is a game in which uh, two... Men aged between uh, 40 and 65, well, maybe even a little bit older, in, in some long-serving cases, stand and uh, in a dugout and uh, then give interviews. And that's why we're all tuning in. There was a time when the arrival of a player like Paul Pogba for a world record fee, or the chance to see if Zlatan can prove himself to the apparently very demanding English football public, uh, you know, they'd be the stories of the preseason previews, but not so much this time. Well, the Zlatan signing happened ages ago, so nobody's really talking about it anymore. And the Pogba one has dragged on for so long that it's kind of just boring at this stage. But every second preview I've read frames it around these kind of terms, that it's uh, that it's all, all these superstar managers pitting their wits, their considerable wits against each other, including the one we're about to do later on with Miguel Delaney. Yeah, um, but exactly. I mean, <laughs> this is but but this is what is most fascinating. Uh, it, se- it certainly seems at the moment um, until the actual football starts. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing. While well, you've got no football to talk about, this is what you talk <laughs> about. And I mean, the reason the managers kind of have such prominence uh, has to do with the it's it's for structural reasons, really. Uh, the way the game is covered. It's not necessarily because they're the most important people in the game, although that's the way that you would think they... Mm. That's the way you would think it is, based on following the media. The thing is that they're the ones who have to speak to the media all the time. They're the ones who are there all the time. Um, you know, players are just on the on the field maybe, maybe twice a week at most. It's also because we do seem to have a collection of some of the most charismatic managers of recent years. Yeah, obviously. So, in the case of someone like Klopp, Pep Guardiola, in a different kind of a manner, I, you know, you've got a bunch of these guys, and obviously they're all, uh, you know, they're all uh, bunched together in the Premier League. Most of these exciting people—it's actually incredible when, when you think about the managers involved. Yeah, and I mean, uh, and it is really, I suppose, where the real cachet of the league is at the moment, given the 
woeful record in European football over the last few years. Um, the fact that the top players all seem to play for Real Madrid, uh, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. Um, the manager is the only field in which the Premier League can justifiably claim to have the, well, sort of the top Pogba. operators. Pogba is going to be the next best player in the world. Yeah, the Premier League's always kind of done that, though. I mean, they've they've it's. They've never, the Premier League has never had a problem attracting players who were going to become the best in the world. It's just that when they do, they join um, one of the three clubs that we that we mentioned. I mean, Luis Suarez uh, joined the you know joined the Premier League club six years ago and became one of the best in the world. Gareth Bale, um, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo came and became famous in the Premier League. I mean, in a way, that's what Real Madrid are buying. That's what they've been. That's what they've been buying. The Premier League is a star factory. You know, it's it's the most. If you want to be beamed into every to to, to the maximum possible number of eyeballs, if you want your um, if you if you want your achievements on the field to be seen by the biggest possible audience, the Premier League is the place to be. Real Madrid then pick out the outstanding players who have become these world superstars and buy those players. Um, that's always what the Premier League has done. I mean, <clears throat> that's almost explicitly what Jose Mourinho was saying about the Paul Pogba transfer the other day. You know, this is the place to be if you want to, you know, if you want to become the biggest player in the world. Yeah, he was very much at this stage of his career. This is the right club for him because they won't let you do it. He 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 said they won't let you go to Real Madrid, Barcelona. They won't let you. Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo will not allow you to become the biggest player in the team. They it's them and screw you. Well, Bale has gone in and done a good job despite those limitations. He's done a good job holding Cristiano's coat and scoring goals in Champions League finals and so forth. Well, he scored a goal in a Champions League final. Whereas, how many did Ronaldo score in? One and a half. <laughs> he scored from the spot. Yeah, you take my point, though. Bale was Bale went over, not in the Ronaldo. You know, he went over for the world record or whatever. But it wasn't as though he was going in the same manner as Cristiano Ronaldo, who became the best player. Well, it was quite similar. I mean, he was the second best and then went over. He, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo had won the Ballon d'Or already by the time he joined Real Madrid. A bail was a huge fee, but there were a lot of doubts as to how good he was going to be at Real Madrid. Um, anyway, we're probably getting a little bit sidetracked here, but uh, it, I mean, it is the main dynamic. The, there, there was this story I saw on the Sky Sports website the other day. Um, it was about... Uh, it was about... Pogba's move to Manchester mm-hmm. uh, and it was kind of there was a couple of strands in it one of them was talking about the work of Ed Woodward in in making this happen which was you know a, a pretty pretty impressive executivesmanship to have made it happen eventually to have persuaded Juventus to accept this world record fee <laughs> and relinquish the player who they had so, who signed for Manchester United oh, for less than a million euros. What was it about this world record fee that first attracted you to this deal <laughs> Juventus chief executive? Um, but the, but the, the article went on and there was this particularly almost poignant paragraph. Um, it was talking about the fact that Pogba, you know, Real Madrid wanted Pogba and yet here he is. <laughs> when you add Real's looming transfer ban to the mix and the prospect of Europa League football rather than the Champions League, you can understand why. There's a lot of pride on the red side of Manchester, and not just for breaking that world trans- world record transfer fee. Perhaps this is the moment the Premier League has been waiting for to show the world that La Liga won't have it all its own way in the seasons to come. I mean, how, how chippy is that? Like, what, what an inferiority complex. 
just sort of oozes out of every word of that paragraph. Yeah. I mean, what are they talking about? The Premier League has been way richer than all the other leagues for, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, yeah, finally, they managed to get a player. You know, how did, how did uh, Manchester United manage to persuade Mino Raiola to talk Paul Pogba into, into going to Manchester United? How much money did he make from this deal again? I mean, is it the biggest agent commission ever? Maybe only Neymar's father. Neymar's father, remember, was you know received forty-seven million euros or this is the payment when he joined the Barcelona, and I'd say that record will stand for a long time. But Mino Raiola made more than twenty million pounds from this deal. His job was to persuade Pogba that joining, going back to Manchester was what he really wanted to do, and he seems to have done it quite well, judging by the way that Pogba is is talking. You know, have you seen all this production? that Man United have laid on, like they're making little movies with Pogba in it, you know, this sort of character, um, Omar coming, you know, <laughs> uh, Pogba uh, and, and Pogba sort of appears and then it feels like I'm home. You know, I'm talking to all the same people. I'm thinking, what do you mean, which same people? Most of the people <laughs> who were there are gone. Oh, I'm sure the tea lady. Yeah, maybe that's who he's talking about. Uh, Bobby Charlton's still there. Sir Alex. Sir Bobby the is background. still there. Sir Alex is, is still knocking around. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I suppose maybe it will eventually be, maybe La Liga won't have it all, all its own way in the future. And you'd kind of have to say about time, you know, given the massive financial advantage the Premier League has had for so long, maybe it is about time that they started to be able to compete with these teams. And it's report on another sport. So where were we? Um, uh, it's, it's the first weekend of the season. It's the first match of the day of the season. That means that Gary Lineker... Oh, would you oh. be tuning in, Owen? Oh, this is this is ugh, this has been the most annoying part of my life. You don't like the last few months. You don't of, like Gary Lineker's. Um, I don't care. I, Gary Lineker can do it. What was it in, in his boxers? Is that what it's supposed to be or fully naked? In his underwear. In his underwear. Yeah, fully fully naked. What I mean, like that would be the only thing that would you know that would get you to tune in. Yeah, in his boxers. Who cares? You know. Yeah, seen um, it all before. Yeah, the no. What what is annoying about this is he he said this or he makes this bold statement, and then he is they're all so self aware about it in the BBC. I've, I've honestly heard it about fifty times, including during the Olympics the other day when there was yeah. a promo for match of the day. Oh, will Gary Lineker? I don't care anymore. It's like you know, I'm sure he's been working out a lot all, all preseason. If he is going to be doing it, you think? Yeah, not that Gary Lineker needs to work out. He's in good shape as it is for a man in his whatever age he is, mid forties. But uh, yeah. Well, he has to do it, doesn't he? Now I'm getting now I'm getting dragged into this conversation <laughs> that I've been trying to avoid. Paul Gascoigne did say that he uh, he loved Gary Lineker's body. By the way, first of all, Gary Lineker's been very uh, I'm going to say cute about this game. Mm. He definitely is working out over the summer because otherwise, why didn't he do it at the end of last season? He said, "Oh, if they win the league, I'll do I'll do match of the day in my underwear." There was no mention at the, the original time. I'm almost certain there was no mention of ne- at the start of next season. Oh, was it not? No, that seemed to. Now maybe I have it wrong, but that seemed to sort of surface later on when Lineker said, "Yeah, no, I will back up." You know, I'll, I'll do it. But do it. you think? Do you think Lineker would do that? Is he? Re- is he really? Would he, would, ha- would he? Would he want to? He'd be reluctant to expose himself. No, he, he wants to give himself a summer to get himself just right. I know I would. <laughs> if I was in that situation. You don't think he'd just be like, yeah, whatever, this is me? No. Like it or lump it? No. He looks at, he's a man who looks after his physical appearance. Yeah. But he's sure he works out all the time anyway. I mean, what's yeah. he gonna, I mean what else does he have to but do? But it's just right after the Olympics, you're seeing all these perfectly sculpted bodies. on Gary Lineker 
Gerdinger's probably very impressive physique. Just doesn't we'll look just, that good. No, he looked like he, he looked like he, yeah, Phelps. exactly. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that's it's obviously something for us all to look forward to. Uh, I know people are very excited about it. Um, we will at that stage have seen some football, and uh, we're being promised big things. Uh, Xavi, speaking to Sid Lowe, has uh, been talking a little bit about Pep Guardiola and the sort of impact that he will have. Um, you really learn with Pep, says Xavi. Uh, he explains everything. He's good at synthesizing information. He talked about locking himself away in his office while watching endless videos to prepare games until he found the key to it all. Um, oh, hang on, Xavi with Pep? And this is happening now. Uh, when when no, Pep not, was locked away. Oh yeah, it's, it's not the two of them locked away together. No, no, oh, was, yeah. that was that was Pep. His lonely his lonely quest to find quote the key to it all unquote. And then he took the team sheet and he wrote down the first name Lionel Messi. <laughs> <laughs> this is key <laughs> no, I mean this is you know this is that, that's just the typical kind of boorish yokeling comment uh, that's used to undermine. Pep Guardiola all the time. Oh, you had Messi, you know, how hard could it be? Do you think anyone could coach this team? Uh, exactly. Uh, I mean, and, and no doubt he, he took them to a higher level. Would, would uh, Messi have got that good if it hadn't been for Pep Guardiola's lonely hours of study in that video room? And so what's he do once he's been in the video room? He says he might have spent two or three hours or more on a video. Um, two or three hours is not really that long to work on something. You know, I'm always amazed. I'm not, I mean, the people in football sometimes talk about like this sort of slavish devotion or the sort of the intense labor that goes into things and then mention a, f- a figure of time. You know, <laughs> well, hang on, like that's, you know, like remember Gary, uh, Gary Neville talking about working on set pieces. What was it like? We might do 45 minutes a week. You know, real hard work. Like, <laughs> you just, okay, right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, maybe that there. Time maybe just goes by a little slower for top footballers. Their nervous system is so highly attuned um, uh, that that everything just seems to take a little bit longer. That's how Messi can do those nutmegs. You know, it just seems to happen in slow motion. There's so much more happening in the same unit of time that for him to spend, you know, for a top football player such as Pep Guardiola in his day to spend two or three hours is like me spending two or three months. Yeah, a 90-minute game feels like a full day for a footballer. Yeah, I mean, and it, it just, they don't realize how long it's taking. It's just the, to, you know, plebs like us that, that, uh, that time is speeded up to such a degree that we can't even see the ball, never mind control it or knock it, knock it effortlessly through the legs of James Milner uh, or whoever it is. But anyway, Pep, uh, he does two or three hours. When it came to showing it to the players, it wouldn't last more than 10 minutes. He doesn't weigh you down with it. He's heavy going in the demands, but not the amount of information he gives you. Video would focus on aspects of the game, precise details. He analyzes how you can attack your bonus. They would reveal where the space can be found. Behind the defensive pivot, for example. Where else would the space be? Mm. I mean, there's only a couple of places it could really be. Out wide. Behind the, the fullbacks. In the channels. Behind the defensive pivot. You know, sort of around the penalty area. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's more detailed than that. I mean, we, should, we shouldn't mock in this way you know um, does it get to a point though with those players players of a, a high tactical acumen like the ones that Barcelona had that mm. surely there's only so many ways that Pep Guardiola can explain how to play football and that's why he uh, says he, he doesn't want to stick around he doesn't want to outstay his welcome oh again at Man City well it's, it's why he says 
you know, it's why he, he didn't want to do more than, I mean, he ended up doing four years at Barcelona, but he really said he, he says he regrets doing the last year. He didn't want to do more than three years at Bayern Munich. He won't want to do, I'm sure, more than that sort of time at Manchester City because, in his opinion, they stopped listening, you know? And, and in the case of Barcelona players, they're so good that does Xabi really... N- Surely it's, it is pretty instinctive by the end of three years. With you, He knows exactly what is required of him from the manager and the words are just like, you know, you're hearing a, a teacher ram something home for the 14th time. That you, 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 Yes, we know, we do understand what you want us to do. Yeah, but that's where um, other aspects of it come in. Um, to, you know, you've got to try to make strange, you know, the the... You've got to try and spice things up a little. You've got to try and keep the magic in the relationship by just making little changes. Um, and as, uh, I mean, Xavi talks about it in terms of a religion. Um, he might, Pep once said if he could play with 11 midfielders, he would. If he could have 100% of the ball, he would do that too. So he might change. He might become even more radical. If you believe in something, you have to follow it. For those of us brought up in these ideas who have internalized them so deeply, it's like a religion. Pep is a purist. Why change when it's been so successful? I don't think he'll change his idea. I think he will try to perfect it. And so it should be interesting to see him trying to do that with this Manchester City squad, which has obviously changed a good bit um, over the summer. I mean, it's, you know, when, when we saw the, the, the City squad that finished the season, it was appalling. Um, it really was a... Uh, it looked like a team that was completely clapped out, a team that was essentially um, finished. They have made a number of signings. Uh, Gundogan, although he, uh, I don't believe, is fit at the moment. Uh, Nolito from Celta Vigo, Zinchenko uh, from Ufa, Leroy Sané, uh, who is, you know, regarded, who's the latest German Lionel Messi. You know, the last, the previous German Messi was Mario uh, Goetze, um, who did manage to score the winning goal in the World Cup final. Let's not forget that. Um, but, you know, never really, really, never a realistic Messi, in my opinion. Sané, at least, uh, is a little bit more Messi-like in that he's likes to play on the right and he's left-footed and he likes to cut in and he can score those types of goals. But it's just he needs to do it about 10 times more often than he does it at the moment in order to get up into that Messi category. Gabriel uh, Jesus from Palmeiras, who scored for Brazil last night in the Olympics... Uh, and obviously John Stones, uh, who uh, I guess they hope will be will will solve their problem of who's going to play alongside company. Although the problem of who's of whether company's going to play also remains to be solved, or how whether he can play more than one game in a row, uh, or and avoid being injured for most of the season. Don't tell me all the signings of all the teams. I like the bit where you get surprised at the start of a new season. Oh yeah. my God! Wow, Balassi is at Everton. Hmm. I don't think, yeah, exactly. Oh my God, Zlatan Ibrahimovic signed for Manchester United. This is, uh, this is incredible. Yeah. Um, well, uh, what's happening? Manchester United have been interesting in terms of the transfer market activity, both in and out. Um, obviously, we know all about the players who've come in. Um, now, players are on the way out. Jose Mourinho says he doesn't really want to have that big a squad. I think because he, he finds it difficult to placate players who are out of the team. Um, so he doesn't like to have too many of those guys knocking about. At some point, we will hear him complain about not having enough players. <laughs> but for the time being, he's talking about having a pared-down squad, and that is why, well, it's partly why, I guess, uh, Paddy McNair and Donald Love 
have uh, been packed off to Sunderland. And David Moyes, who says Paddy is a young athletic player who's improving all the time. He has experience from Northern Ireland. Uh, we want to bring as many international players to the club as we can. Donald comes highly recommended as another young player who I hope can develop and improve. These are obviously... Um, are these loan deals? Or are they? Uh, no, these are permanent uh, deals, I believe. That, um, that's, uh, that's all right, isn't it, for Paddy McNair? Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, it's not as though he was going to play much under, uh, under Jose Mourinho, I don't think. I don't think he's quite at the level. You know, Mourinho likes players who are able to play now. You know what he said about you don't need, you don't need five matches to show potential. You don't need ten games. You need ten minutes. Mm. Basically, I decide. I watch you for a couple of minutes in the field and I decide whether you've got what it takes. Uh, he's evidently made his mind up about these boys. Uh, they're out of there. And also, uh, Adnan Yanazai. Now, this is it's really... His career trajectory has been quite interesting. And the talk is that he might also be joining Sunderland because Moyes, remember, is the manager who he had all the success under um, with Man United. I do find it really bewildering, though, what's happened to this guy. I mean, you do suspect that there is um, some issue with his, with his attitude because it wasn't just at Manchester United. It was also, remember, he went to Dortmund. Mm-hmm. And they, just, they decided, hang on, this guy isn't really going to do anything for us. You know, he, 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 to- he was a total failure at Dortmund. Um, Jose Mourinho has said that he uh, basically can go and train with the kids. He doesn't like it uh, and is said to want to leave, although they don't want to sell him. Uh, he may be joining uh, them on loan. Uh, one player who did come in is obviously Zlatan. Mourinho was talking about him and was being asked about uh, Rashford. I mean, okay, Rashford was a big... Uh, emerging success of last season and uh, the first player that Mourinho went for was Latan. seems to be kind of taking that spot on the team uh, but not so says Mourinho he says for Rashford this is a gift people could say he's not going to play every game from the start like in the second part of the last season but this is a gift for the kid as well uh, basically because you, you know you're playing with a guy like Zlatan and Mourinho does seem to suggest he's going to be there for two years. Um, I mean, he was doing, we were so happy to have him, and for two years, probably the last two years of his career, he probably couldn't find a bigger league to finish his career. And we couldn't find a better striker in this moment of our building process. Um, uh, talks about how he is around the place. Probably the other players are surprised. Not me, because I know him, but probably the other players are surprised. Not with his quality, because of that everyone knows. Probably with his commitment and motivation. Um, but probably even more surprised with the person. He's a good guy. What he looks like, it's not what he is. Now, I wonder what that actually means. Like, what, what do you think he looks like? What, what, how would you think he... Like, for instance, Mourinho says, the words he says, that he says for fun. He is the guy capable to go to the kit man and say, please give a towel to God, and then laugh, 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 <laughs> laugh, and laugh. The image he sells is not him. He is a good guy. He's brilliant with the young boys. I mean, that seems to be quite obviously what... what Ibrahimovic is like, you know, the way that he portrays himself is kind of. But he plays up to it. He's you see those interviews. The quotes come baldly out of these interviews. You know, Zlatan is asked for his favorite footballer of all time, and he says Zlatan. This is a made-up example, but you know the types of interviews. When you see, if you ever actually see him doing them, he's breaking down laughing at himself. He finds himself very amusing. I'll say that. Yeah, he at the same but he's also so he's extremely self-aware, and he's very aware of the image that has been put out there in a large part by him. Mm. And it, it's, I think he's happy enough to play up to it. But uh, there isn't. A, I don't know why. 
because you, I don't know how closely Manchester United players have studied Zlatan's career up until now, but I think in general it's it's fairly well accepted that he does have a positive effect on dressing rooms. Otherwise, he wouldn't keep getting signed by all these massive clubs. Exactly, and look at those Sweden players. Look at the reaction of those Swedish players to him. Um, you know, when he scored the goals in the uh, playoff that got them to the Euros, you know, it was hero worship from his teammates. Um, from Zlatan is, you know. I mean, his performances in the Euros were a long way off his billing, really. Didn't do anything. No. Uh, well, helped get a goal against us. Us being our, the Republic of Ireland, excuse me. Yeah, but... With a fairly basic piece of play. Yeah, there wasn't... I don't really think he... You know... <laughs> I mean, was he one of the best players in the Euros now? Was he, was he a player whose performances you would remember if he, did, if he hadn't... You might remember him because his, he looks a little odd. Uh, big, you know, walking around in the field. He's a, you know, Memorable. unusually proportioned yeah. player. I mean, you would, you, you would certainly have noticed him if you were watching it on TV as a casual viewer, because the camera showed him every uh, every couple of minutes. His increasingly uh, perplexed uh, expression as he kind of failed to influence the game. I mean, that's the that's the difficulty for him at the moment. But you know, in terms of getting on with everybody, I don't think that's been a problem. Speaking of getting on with with people. Uh, who better at it than Jose Mourinho, manager of Manchester United? Uh, according to Hans Joachim Watzke, the chief executive of Dortmund, uh, he's, I mean, there was a question that a lot of people were asking around European football, and that was, have Hans Joachim, Hans Joachim Watzke and Jose Mourinho fallen out? <laughs> have they been asking this? <laughs> they have, they have. Uh, because the signing of Henrik Mkhitaryan uh, at one point uh, reached... Uh, such a, a pitch of bad feeling that Mina Raiola, agent Jim McIntyre and all the other big signings that Manchester United this summer, was reported to have thrown a chair in frustration. Um, however, uh, Hans Joachim Wotzke says that, uh, in fact, Jose Mourinho's attitude throughout the whole thing was, was incredibly chilled out. He said, he said to me, in the end you decide, and however this pans out, the most important thing is that our friendship doesn't suffer because of that. There are more good players than good friendships. And he is absolutely spot on. Um, we've been friends for many years and I've always kept in touch. Um, he was referring to a visit that Mourinho made. He went to watch a Dortmund match uh, in February. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I think that is interesting that, that Mourinho would do that. You know, uh, rather, these are the kinds of things that it's important for managers to do these days. Um, Mourinho's friendship with the... Uh, CEO of Dortmund, uh, I think is a directly contributing factor to the fact that they have that player. Now. So what Mourinho in his downtime took in the game in Dortmund, did a lot of networking, made friends. Yeah, it's funny if you compare it to the Roy Keane approach. I was ex- that's you? exactly what I was when he goes to Wigan practically yes. in disguise. Exactly what <laughs> I was going to say. Bit of an argument with the person selling tickets. I want to buy a ticket. Oh, you can't buy a ticket. Well, can I buy a season ticket? No, <sighs> and then gets angry and, and storms off up the road. You know. Yeah. This is, uh, and then if you recall when but Keane the, was... Yeah, the point about Keane was that he didn't want to talk to anyone. He, he, exactly what Mourinho's talking about is what he didn't want. He didn't want to talk to, okay, fine, if, if a few fans around him have a bit of chit-chat, he's happy, more comfortable with that, it seems, mm. than with hobnobbing with the chief executive of Wigan and whatever, presumably they were playing against United that day, I'm not sure. Um, I don't no, know who they, they were. were. No, it was just a random game. Yeah, he was just just going to see Wigan because he he lived not too far away from there. It was an easy ground for him to just pop down to. Mm. Um, but then you know he would sort of say, nobody wants to join Ipswich, nobody wants to join Sunderland, 
uh, their wives, you know, don't want to, don't think the shopping is up to scratch. Well, was that really the reason? Or does it have to do with, uh, does it have to do with contacts? Does it have to do with uh, your web of influence? Um, I know what Jose Mourinho thinks about that. Uh, I mean, uh, there was some statistics going around the other day. Je- Mourinho becomes first manager to spend a billion euros on transfers. <laughs> okay, so so that's a he has usually been been at clubs with more pulling power than Sunderland and Ipswich. That is true. Uh, nevertheless, he still thinks it's worthwhile going around and and maintaining his little uh, his little circle of friends because these things uh, eventually uh, prove decisive. Speaking of Jose's friends, a word on Wenger. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so, well, Mourinho obviously has been al- already attacking Wenger um, and Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp, I think, with more justification uh, because of what they said about the Pogba deal. What Wenger said about it was, oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, if you look at this amount of money, it's crazy. You know, when you, when you compare it to real life, you know, you can build a hospital for the kind of money they're, they're <laughs> spending on Pogba. You know, and there's, there was a cartoon... You know that I saw a cartoon online where it was kind of a, a picture of an image of Pogba and his agent in this bubble floating above this hellscape of, you know, refugees and bombed out buildings. And, you know, this is the world and this is football, you know, in the room. People have been making this point for a long time. Yeah, of course. And it makes a hell of a lot of sense. But if you're Arsene Wenger, you're making that point. If you feel so strongly about it, get out of this industry. Do you know <laughs> if you I mean? don't like it, turn off your station. Well, how much are you getting paid, Wenger? It's not it's, a it's lot. A lot of money. Uh, Nine million pounds a year. You know. So. Yeah. I, well, I don't think he's something he's in any place to. But when he, transfer well, fees. the thing is that I don't think he was actually being that judgmental. I think he was oh. saying it's crazy when you compare it to the real world. But you know, we know that football is, is kind of crazy. I don't even think he was being that judgmental. He says he adds uh, talking about Pogba more recently. He says the value of a player is dependent on his talents, the expected strengthening of the team, his age. And of course, his resale value, when you speak about Pogba, it ticks, all, it ticks all these boxes. I mean, Pogba could play four great years at Manchester United, uh, win the Ballon d'Or, and join Real Madrid for more than they paid for him, more than Manchester United. That could happen. Um, uh, he'd still only be 27 at that stage. So that's why Wenger is, is kind of analysing the figure and saying, well, that's why he costs that much. And, and you, you also have to take into account a factor that he's left out, which is how much money does the buying club have? If you've got all this money, ultimately, what's it for? Why do you have a sponsorship deal with Mr. Potato? Why, why did you spend your pre-season uh, flying around China uh, if you're not ultimately going to use that money to make your team better? You know, is, if, if the only purpose for that is to ultimately is to enrich the owners of the club, then... You know, I don't. I don't think that's necessarily a good approach to it either. Uh, when when Mourinho attacked Klopp, Klopp had been a little bit more. What Klopp had said was was certainly a little bit more annoying from Jose Mourinho's point of view, which is this is crazy. This isn't football. Even if I could spend that much money on one player, I wouldn't do it that way. That's not what. That's not. I don't believe that's how you build a team. Team is about all of us. It's not about you know a world record superstar who comes in and solves everything. I wouldn't do it that way, even if I could. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is a bit sanctimonious. You know, in, in terms of, I'm I'm better than that. I wouldn't do it that way. Well, at least that's the way that Jose Mourinho looks at. You know, he he does have a somewhat sensitive ego. So when he heard this, you know, his, his response is, well, you know, certain managers won't ever have to deal deal with this problem because in order to have this problem, you've got to be at one of the biggest clubs in the world. 
and at Manchester United we can you know we're the kind of club that can do this and a lot of other clubs you get managers who can, who won't ever have to be in this situation because their club is not on that level so the the season hasn't started by the way uh, so that's that's an indication of of where things are going to go that's it for Ken Early's final pre-season report on sport I'll give you the unvarnished account of what happened, will I? There was a train at like one o'clock back to Paris. Arrived at the station in Saint-Étienne before that train was due to go to find utter bedlam. The seat numbers weren't being respected. It was with an air of foreboding. I went to find Place 41 and as I expected, it already contained a tired looking England fan, Geordie man, probably in his late 20s. He knew why I had come, and I looked at him sternly and waggled my ticket and said, Sorry, mate, it's actually my seat. And he said, Sorry, mate, we've actually just been told to sit anywhere. The seat numbers don't count. Basically tough shit. I've sulked and stomped around a little bit and complained and sent angry text messages to people who didn't care. Then I thought, there's no point in just sitting here. Who knows what might happen? Possession was now 100% of the law. You have to go and find someone else whose seat you can take. I started walking along the train and in the very end carriage there was a couple of empty seats ah. I thought that's interesting I went on to the first empty seat I saw and tried to sit down the England fans there said sorry mate our friend's there so I said okay moved up went to the next empty seat sat down guy next to it no complaints well the situation seems to have changed I'm now one of the haves rather than the have nots a few minutes later as I suspected it might previous other seat came along and said, sorry mate, that's my seat. And I said, sorry mate, my seat is actually Watcher 12, class 41, but there's someone sitting in it, so I just came and sat in this seat, which, which is unoccupied, there's a lot of us in the same boat. And he said, but that's ridiculous, I've just gone to the canteen and I got this orangina. And I said, I oh, know, I'm really sorry, it's really unfair. The system is a total shambles. He walked away saying the word tosser. I felt bad for the guy. Maybe he didn't realize that he was in the jungle. He still thought he was on the train, but this was actually a jungle. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I can't really complain about that characterization of my behavior at this moment. However, I do have a seat and I don't think anyone saw. All right, let's continue our hyping up of the Premier League with Miguel Delaney. Miguel, are you excited? Uh, yeah, I suppose I am. Actually, probably more so for my own case, because I think two days after I touched down back in London from the Euros, I already had emails looking to uh, get me to investigate stuff and write stuff about the new season. And I think I must have written about four or five pieces now on the league of new managers but like the, to be honest the, the more you do look into it and the more the more you kind of assess what all the managers have done and what they're trying to do with the new with the new teams i think it genuinely is exciting and I, even wenger who is usually kind of very detached and um, maybe kind of plays things down more than a, lot, than a lot of other managers in these situations even he was talking about oh, the situation as unprecedented and it probably i mean even in syria in the mid 90s which had all the stars was it never had a situation where i suppose Seven, maybe, of the ten best managers in the world are in one league, and it, like it, it's, it's almost going to be as unpredictable as last season, given how last season ended, but in the opposite way. Because whereas last season was so forgiving, and there were so many teams that looked so slack, particularly Man City, say. Whereas this season we have kind of a series of managers who are infamously demanding and every are famously demanding in everything they do. So we're going to see so many teams think pushed to the limit. Now maybe a lot of those teams aren't going to be perfect yet because so, many, because so many, many managers are kind of early in what they're trying to do. I think even Conte, you can see with the Chelsea team, they're not anywhere near where he'd want them yet. But 
the fact that all the managers are demanding means we're, we're going to see a Premier League where everyone's pushing, where it's much less forgiving in that sense. I think it is going to be exciting, to be honest. Well, 19 out of 20 of these guys are going to end up as losers. Yeah. So um, they're going to have to try and get their heads around that. I mean, are we going to have to redefine the definition, definition of loser? First is first, second is still pretty good. <laughs> well, I suppose it probably depends on the team. But I think we probably will have to uh, recalibrate what failure is in some circumstances. I mean, I was even I was thinking about this when I did one of the pieces last week. I was looking at Syria, kind of that mid nineties. I think it may be Syria's peak, which was ninety three, ninety four, ninety four, ninety five. One of those two seasons. But Fior, like Batistudas Fiorentina, who um, who you know are one of probably one of the most famous teams from that area, one of the most admired teams. But they finished kind of eight or tenth one of the years in an 18-team league, and despite playing brilliant football. And I think we could see a bit of that this year, which we have really respectable teams, but just be, because the league is so tight, because the gaps will be so minimal, uh, it, it is going to be like that. Now, in, in saying that, I mean, one, one, two teams you could look to maybe in that regard are Spurs and Liverpool. I think they'll both be impressive, but maybe not finish where maybe some expectations would have them. Although I think Liverpool could have a massive advantage and they could have the chance to do something big because of the fact that they've got no European football and because Klopp almost has this head start and we could finally see a real Klopp team at Liverpool in that sense. Hmm. But I suppose the two you'd maybe... I think the two teams that would be considered failures if they didn't win it would probably be the two Manchester clubs. And maybe you'd have to say, given how last season went, given how the summer's gone, Arsenal as well. I mean, look, this is the frustrating thing with Arsenal. I'm going to Wenger uh, tomorrow morning, um, just you know, as for the build-up for the new season of game against Liverpool on Sunday. But like, they, they, this really should have been the summer where they kicked on. And again, the one big signing they've made—it's it's an issue that didn't really need to be solved. They haven't yet done anything they needed to. Um, and it's hard not to think about them kind of finishing fourth or even fifth again. Uh, so I'd say those—I'd say the two Manchester clubs and Arsenal should be the ones that will be most disappointed themselves that they don't win the title, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've been talking about managers so far, but how have we got to the stage where in the... Is this the first league uh, where the managers, all the stars are managers? I mean, you, you were mentioning Serie A in the, in the 90s. The players were the important yeah. ones. I mean, it was about... Football has usually been about players. How has the Premier League got to the point where, you know, as Wenger says, this is like the World Cup for managers? This this never used to be the case. Before. Yeah, well, all, all, the top, all the top guys are, are, are not even on the field. I suppose the, the, the only possible comparison is maybe Spain 2010 to 2012 when it was Guardiola and Mourinho going on it, but that was still just Guardiola and Mourinho. And, that was, that was still and it was still Messi and Ronaldo. I mean... I was about to say that. Yeah, it was Ronaldo and Messi and two of the best teams ever. Uh, I suppose the way I would put this maybe, it's probably the first sign of the um, Premier League's money in that, the first effect of the Premier League's money in that they, they don't have quite have the cachet and they probably don't have the climate to, uh, to, for money. Or sorry, the money isn't yet enough to override the fact that you know, Barca and Real are a better climate in order to attract the best players. Although I think that will change in time. Do, the sorry, when you, when you say climate, do, do you mean literally... Like uh, weather, I, 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 I think I think it's still it's um, space for for a lot of top players, particularly those coming from kind of Central Europe and and South America. I I think that it is absolutely a factor that that, but for cultural issues and for the weather, Spain is more attractive to a lot of players. But I think money could change that as we see Pogba. But because the Premier League can can't yet get to those players, they've almost compensated in the other direction by going to the managers first. Um, and we probably will reach a situation in a few years where. It is basically kind of these satellite clubs around Europe, Barca, Real, Bayern, Juventus, that are, um, and then 
all the Premier League clubs, all the main Premier League clubs that are kind of that have a concentration of all these great managers and all the great all the best players as well. The Premier League isn't quite at the, at the player stage yet. Although I think Pogba maybe will begin to transform that. Yeah. But it, but the, uh, the introduction of so many managers is the first step. And I, I mean, all the managers have talked about it. It's the, it's the place to challenge themselves. It offers them the most money, perhaps uh, most crucially. But yeah. but yeah, yeah, I, I think it is the first effect of that. I, I wonder though, is then is say for instance. Uh, don't a name drop around Miguel, but we were doing an interview with the Oscar-nominated director Lenny Abrahamson not, ah, not so long ago. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we should say that uh, Brie Larson did win the Best Actress award as well. So, and he was nominated. And for one of the very and it was nominated for Best. Movie. One of the very interesting insights he had was that um, film directors are the appeal of film directors to producers is largely based on the actors that they can bring to a yeah. any given project. So I wonder, is this kind of the you know a, an intermediate stage in a process? You know, in football, first you get the money, then you get the managers, then you, <laughs> then you get the players. You know, because because Manchester United don't really have any more money to throw at players uh, this season than they did last season uh, or the season before. Um, but they do seem to have been able to attract a, a better quality of player, and I can't help but feel that has something to do with um, Jose yeah. Mourinho's profile. Um, his connections with uh, with agents, top agents in the transfer market, and and let's put that in very basic terms as well. I mean, if you're say, for example, Paul Pogba, or maybe two years ago, Cesc Fabregas, considering a move to Manchester United, it probably makes some difference if you pick up the phone one day and rather than it being David Moyes on the line or even an abrasive Louis Van Gaal, you have Mourinho. Uh, both in terms of kind of, or in terms of their personalities, in terms of the careers, in terms of CV, yeah. So uh, absolutely, and and I think, like, I remember about twenty ten. That was this was a big thing with Mourinho that he so many managers wanted to work with him. So, and it, he he, or sorry, so many players wanted to work with him, and it's it's still the case. We've probably been slightly superseded in that way by Guardiola, probably greatly superseded because I mean, there's so many young players now that see Guardiola as, but he's the man that can make me a better player. Uh, I want to work. I've seen Barca. So I want I want to work in that kind of environment. And, and there's probably an element of that with City too. Although it's interesting that City have actually, I wouldn't say they've got understated in their business given they've spent as much as United. But they've almost kind of, they've spent the money in a very different way. That Guardiola hasn't gone for obvious stars other than maybe John Stones, although where he's a star can be disputed. But he has gone for specific positions. Um, but then I suppose, I was thinking of this, I'm doing a piece for ESPN tomorrow just looking at kind of, you know, Mourinho's team. And I actually think this is probably the most tightly focused Mourinho has his team since maybe Inter Milan 2009, and that if he gets that one more centre half, it's almost, and in particular with Pogba in the middle, it just looks like a highly functioning Mourinho team. And the sort of team you could see once all, all the pieces are fit and ready, the one you can see kind of fitting together quite quickly. Yeah, there is an interesting contrast there, isn't there, between uh, Mourinho's team. Which, as you say, you know, you can see how this all fits together. It's pretty obvious. It's it's yeah. it's it's yeah, very but, but maybe Rooney. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, I can see. I've got my own, you know, suspicions as to as to uh, his durability in this setup. But I mean, it is a. It's a. You, you can kind of see where all the pieces fit. He's bought pieces to fit a fairly obvious pattern. Yeah, and you can kind of see how it all it all it all makes sense. You know, a, a five year old would easily be able to understand what Jose Mourinho is trying to do here. You can't say that at all about what Guardiola is doing at Manchester City, can you? I mean, you know, he he signed players who are it's it's hard to say exactly where they're going to be in the field, what kind of football this team is going to play. It's very difficult to predict 
what kind yeah. of a team Manchester City are going to be. But I suppose that that's one of uh, his strengths, I suppose, to a certain degree, Guardiola. I mean, in that, I mean, he, one one of the bases of his management is basically to come up with multiple configurations for every different match and, and multiple multiple formations so that they can all play this kind of intricate passing football. Yeah, like I mean, we're ta- I suppose we're talking about a manager that put Lamb in, mid, in you know central midfield for Bayern Munich. But into, I do I do think that actually, I mean, there's been so much discussion of the Stones and Pogba prices. And I mean, I suppose you have to kind of take into, to justify this in any way, you have to take into account that football is a hyper reality of a market with no real value in, in real world terms. Um, but in the context of what these clubs are and the money they generate, I, I, I think um, these, I think both Stones and Pogba are almost more worth it than other players because of the fact that they both fit so, it's not just about that they fit into the manager scene, it's they potentially enhance what they're going to do. I mean, Mourinho has always loved that kind of physicality and power breaking from midfield. You know, most famous would be Lampard in, in 2005. And I think Pogba can offer that again and kind of really enhance that United, give them what they've been missing because it has been quite a pedestrian midfield. And for with Stones, I think, I mean, there's, there's a lot been made about, you know, his lack of defensive qualities. I mean, even in talking about the coaches and scouts who say it was one thing when he was growing up, he, he just knew like he was never a brilliant tackler. But he is a sensational passer. And if, if you look at the way... Uh, Guardiola has played football with both Barca and Bayern. I mean, the, the, the players charged with the defensive duties not usually the centre halves. It's usually the defensive midfielder, like a Mascherano, who'll drop back in between the centre halves to do most of the destroying. And one of the centre halves' main job, particularly with Gerard Piquet, say, or Jerome, Jerome Boateng, is actually to start moves, so to fundamentally be a brilliant passer. And that's what Stones is. So I think you, you can see you can see logic there. As for the rest of it, I suppose with the, even with the likes of Sané. Um, and Nolito, I, I think maybe the, the, the variety is actually what, uh, what, what Guardiola would favour. So I, I think it does make sense. If it's not, maybe it's not as obvious as kind of the way Mourinho wants it, but I think in, in the context of what Guardiola does, it does make sense. And I, I, what I wouldn't say either side is kind of perfect yet, and of course we have to watch some games to see, see how they actually are. I, I think it is very encouraging for both. I think we're going to see them both play to a pretty high level. Stick your neck out, Miguel. This is, uh, I mean, we know Jose Mourinho. I mean, he's a, he is a known known in the Premier League. He's won the Premier League uh, on a couple of occasions. Yeah. Uh, we know the type of football his teams tend to play. We we know all about him really in this environment. Do you think it's going to work for Guardiola? Do you think the the man who was able to dominate both Spain and Germany is able to, is going to come to England? Um, you know, a league where you know, as Mourinho said, not it's not a league that the kit man can win. <laughs> and uh, and come in and uh, transform uh, Manchester City as a club and play that kind of football. Do you think this is it's it's going to be another Pep success story? Uh, I think just to, uh, I, I mean I've been I've done about four or five prediction pieces now. I think I almost kind of changed my mind every five minutes. I think and with some of those I'm thinking maybe it will be United, especially especially after the Pogba signing, especially with the way how focused Mourinho looks and, and how you know the mood in the camp and all that. And I think whatever happens, they'll go very, very close and be tight. But I can't shake that I think City will be ahead. I think Guardiola will. I mean, he might have to adjust himself. Just even in some of the research I was doing this week, I saw like the the highest average possession in the Premier League since Guardiola became a manager was 57%, I think. And in all that time, Guardiola's average possession per season was just over 65%. That's, I mean, like, that's a pretty wide gap. And like, it is a very legitimate question for all, for all the kind of tiresome debate about the best league in the world and all that. It is, it is a legitimate question whether Guardiola can main, sustain and maintain that type of possession in a kind of a, a more congested, almost more, a bit more of a slog of a league. Because that's, that's quite, a, quite a gap. 
Uh, I think he will adapt a bit, though, and I think, like, it, 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 I mean, he's not a flawless manager by any means, Guardiola. I think there are there are legitimate debates about kind of the, the type of squads he's got into, but sometimes I think that that debate goes too far, and it's as if he kind of he does nothing and kind of just, you know, land, like facilitates these great players. But like that's clearly not the case. I mean, we, even I saw Xavi had that piece in the Guardian yesterday about talking about his intensity. But I mean, it goes beyond that. We, he's absolutely meticulous. He he seeks to impose an entire kind of structure on a team. And I think I think more importantly, his work with individual players, particularly Sterling and Stones, would be key. So I think he will have a considerable effect. And just on the basis of maybe that in their head-to-heads and their time they've been in the same league, I think Guardiola has had a better record than Mourinho. I think I'd just go City to win it. All right, Miguel Delaney, well, listen, enjoy the... Uh, I'm, I'm suitably hyped up. Enjoy the start of the new season. Just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player a baby. Coach! And we never said they are baby. It's just a crying big baby. And you cannot call a player a baby. If you haven't heard our Olympics podcast today, we had Andy Lee in studio making a lot of sense, as he always does, in the middle of what so far has been a pretty rough Olympic Games for the Irish boxing team. The great Timmy McCarthy as well, king of the Olympic basketball commentators. Coast to coast! That's the man. He explained what Coast to Coast is all about. He... I don't know if I got fully to the heart of what Boom Shakalaka is all about, but uh, we got some ways for us. Will anyone ever fully find out what Boom Shakalaka is all about? We did our best, and there's loads more great stuff in that. Ken, safe standing in the Premier League. Well, this is, uh, this is something which has is, which is come up today. It was a report that was put out by the Adam Smith Institute, mm-hmm. um, and it's something which, which is kind of recurring uh, Issued this idea that stadiums in um, England and the Premier League are all uh, all seater, and they shouldn't be. Um, basically, uh, the main points of the report are uh, insisting: okay, first of all, the recent inquiry doesn't find standing responsible for the Hillsborough disaster. By contrast, poor management and policing are just the culprit. Many other recent stadium disasters have happened despite all seater stadia. Advances in seating technology, stadium management make safe standing a plausible option for sections of UK football stadia. Um, the fact that around Europe, you know, look at those huge standing areas they have in Germany. These areas can be safe. Fans want it. Uh, standing can increase density. And this is, I suppose, the main play that they're making in the report is to point out the impact this can have on ticket prices. European clubs with standing in their stadium have a much wider variation between cheapest and most expensive tickets, even if Premier League clubs kept their most expensive ticket the same price, 
bringing the ratio of standing available to the European level would cut the average cheapest season ticket by 57% from £514 to £221. Um, well, I suppose the clubs would have to sell the ticket for that kind of price, but the point is that they, uh, that they could do that. Um, there is, however, a lot of opposition to the idea of uh, reintroducing standing areas um, because of the because of the Hillsborough disaster, you know, it's the case that, that uh, people don't think that it's worth the risk. Um, even if the risk is tiny, then the, you know, essentially, the the idea that this should never happen again. Yeah, it's, but it's it's, it's such a it's a very emotive topic in it is. the UK in a way that it isn't in a yeah. lot of other countries. Yeah, exactly. So, I, yeah, um, I do wonder though if, I mean, my feeling, my my personal feeling on it is that they should. Uh, reintroduce these areas um, I think that it's important uh, I, I think it's I think that they've got a problem that I think they have a problem with the sustainability of the ticket prices at the moment they have a problem I think with the sustainability of the game as a spectator sport which which isn't apparent at the moment but I think will be will start to become apparent because the problem is that you are it's a generational problem you you look at the crowds in the Premier League now; they're older than they've ever been. Like the yeah, average, how the many how many sixteen year olds are going as thirty seventeen year olds? Very few. I mean, only those with rich parents. Uh, it used to be something that people because it's a habit that people get into. It's like a it's a thing that they get into. Oftentimes, it's not really even a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, it has to be it has to be kind of a a part of your. It's like a thing that you do. It's yeah. part of your routine. You know, and if it's not. Um, if if you don't sort of grow up with that, then I don't think you're likely to get into it. I think it's it's it is going to be increasingly difficult. I mean, there's there's a sort of a complacency about the idea that people will continue to want to do this with their time. There's a lot of other things you can do with your time. I mean, it's like a, it's the extension of that whole issue. Why why can kids no longer trap a ball? Why are kids all obese and unable to play football? It's the level of computerized games. You know, the level of computerized games is out of control. So people can kind of see how, uh, how that is affecting the sort of participation rate or the number of hours spent by kids playing football. You know, it's just, that's, that's one of the, it's not the only factor, but it's one of the factors. People can see that clearly in that case. That's also the case for, for almost everything. You know, essentially the, the range of leisure options has increased to such an extent that going to a football match isn't necessarily the wow, you know what? Imagine the what a sensory overload getting up into the stadium, seeing that that sward of green, green grass, you know, being surrounded by the electricity of the. It's it doesn't have quite the same, you know, appeal. But does the Premier League care if it loses? If it loses some, as say, a seventeen-year-old supporter? decides, I was being brought by my parents for quite a long time. It was a good family occasion. I'm now, I don't know, 17, 18. I'm just finishing up school, going to college. I don't. I, I can't afford to go to the, these football games, pay for it by myself. I'm not going to bother going. But I will ultimately, when I can afford it, get myself a BT sports subscription and uh, watch loads of Premier League on TV and buy the jersey and do all that kind of stuff. It, it doesn't matter that much to the Premier League keeping record attendances and full houses and all that kind of thing, or are they happy enough as long as people are watching TV? Oh, absolutely. The the attendances, the, it's, the full stadium is so important. Really? You, you, that the full stadium is, is absolutely crucial. Who wants to watch a match with, that people can't even be bothered to turn up to watch in the local area? Mm. You know, the, 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 the feeling that you have when you're watching a match in a half-empty half, half empty stadium. 
It's just like, why am I watching this? Do you not? Do you not? Do you not? So, get it's, that not, so, so it's not so much. So the most important thing for the Premier League isn't so much that clubs get gate receipts through full houses. It's how the spectacle looks on TV. It's to be the packaged. fans are to a huge extent the product. Yeah, the fans are the backdrop. The fans, the the there is nothing like the sight of a full stadium of people who are really into things to make people who are watching just just by the herd instinct. Beach volleyball in the Olympics in Rio. A lot of the other events are look look a little bit half hearted. Like the, I saw the rugby, and then you're rugby sitting, sevens. Yeah. You know, there's, there was very few people at the game that I saw. Um, but you, yeah, you watch the Copacabana, and it's, it just feels like. Oh, this okay, is, I don't, this I don't is think beach volleyball is quite the national sport of Brazil, but it's, yeah. it's pretty big over it's, there, and everyone's into it, and automatically you want to watch it. It's it's social proof, and I mean the the you know it's it's the a lot of the charm of Borussia Dortmund is based on that huge uh, yellow wall that they've got. You know, it is an awe-inspiring sight to see that. Um, now the Premier League uh, doesn't really have that type of thing at the moment, but could potentially have that. Um, more the issue is, is though I think about the sustainability of the crowds the fact that you know you need to attract a wider range of people you need to get people into the habit of doing it those 17 year olds might graduate uh, one day to be to being fat cat 45 year olds sitting in the corporate section you know drinking wine and stuffing themselves with you know goose liver um, <laughs> that you know and, and paying even more money that might happen but you know uh, they can have they can have a wider range of fans than they than they currently have. That's my uh, two cents on that. Yes, your two cents. Now I want your predictions before we go. Ken Early's season predictions champion. No, maybe top four, building up to number one. That's the way oh to do God, uh, number four. Who are the teams? Who are the teams involved? Well, okay, so I'll give you this. It's, it's so it's so difficult to say. Well, okay, there's the there's no big four anymore. Is there a big five or six? Okay, so you've got Leicester City, Ken. Yeah. I'm going to throw Arsenal in there. Yeah. Manchester United, yeah. Chelsea, Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham. Have I mentioned Arsenal? Yes. I've mentioned Arsenal. Leicester are staying. I'm going to keep Leicester in the mix. It's up to you to take them out of the top four, if you so wish. Um, I think the top four... And there could be a Leicester. Who knows? It'll be a new Leicester, but I don't know who that's going to be yet. So, I will go for... the for In the top four, in no particular order. Well, you know, in particular order, from four to one. Uh, Extremely particular order. I'll go Arsenal, mm-hmm. Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester, Manchester United. United. Jose Mourinho, first year. Um, well, he's, he's spent plenty of money, hasn't he? Yeah. I can see it. <laughs> I, 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 although, you know, then again, Man United finished fifth last season. You know, they're, they're not even really that good. They, do, they have made important signings. You see, I, I don't know how, I don't know if Man City are going to hit the ground running. I think Man City are going to be a powerful team under Guardiola. I don't see how they can't be. I don't see how they can't be. They've, you know, with a brilliant manager that with, you know, who is a magnet for top players in the, in the way that we've been talking about, a huge budget. I just don't know if it's going to happen immediately. I just, uh, the, the Man, Man City team at the end of last season was so awful. I don't see how he can change that so quickly. Um, with Liverpool, I think the fact that they don't have European football, as Miguel mentioned, is is going to be a big advantage for them, um, as it was for Leicester, as it was for Liverpool themselves in, in 2014. Um, you don't have this fatigue. I mean, last season they played a ridiculous number of games. You know, They had no consistency, but they were playing Europa League almost every week and got to the final of that competition, got to the final of the League Cup. Um, you know, Tottenham are, the, are, the, are a team that I've left out. 
I don't know if they can necessarily replicate what they did last season. I think they might have a bit of a slump. Um, I feel like I'm still leaving somebody out. I'm sure it'll be brought to our attention again, but let's wrap this football podcast up and in, uh, I suppose leave you to enjoy the start of the new season. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you too, Alan. Thanks for listening. We have got that Olympics podcast out now also, if you want to give yourself uh, 45 minutes to an hour to listen. I can't remember how long it is, to be honest with you, but thanks for listening to this one and we'll chat to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.